The desert is a starkly beautiful yet severe place to be. This is true both literally and metaphorically when we face arid and dry times in our lives. The wilderness has a prominent place in the Bible. It's the place where most of the foundational pieces of Scripture were written. When God led his people out of Egyptian slavery, he didn't bring them immediately into the land flowing with milk and honey. There was work to be done, a people to be formed, a culture to be created, an identity to be bestowed. And for this work, God chose the wilderness. In the wilderness, God parted the Red Sea for his people to cross over, destroying the armies of their previous masters in the process. In the wilderness, he gave the Ten Commandments. In the heat of the desert, God melted away the identity of slavery and established a new one, God's chosen people. In the wilderness, the Torah was written. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In the merciless and unforgiving terrain of the desert, God provided for his people. When there was literally no other way for them to survive, God supplied what they needed. In the wilderness, God instructed a tabernacle to be created, one in which he would meet with them personally, one that would stay among them wherever they went and at the center of all they did. In the wilderness, the people thrashed about, in one moment longing to return to slavery, in another casting a golden calf and worshiping it. And then there was God fathering them, allowing them to reap the harvest of their choices, waiting for them to settle into the fact that he was sovereign and he had chosen them. From the desert, the people decided they couldn't conquer the promised land. And for another generation, they wandered. They stayed there a lot longer than they had to. But the day finally came. They crossed the Jordan River and entered their destiny. Everyone wants the promised land. But what we often fail to realize is that it is in the desert that we are being formed. It is the struggle of the wilderness that gives us the appreciation for where God is leading our lives. It is often the struggle forward that allows us to savor the triumph. May we embrace the seasons we spend in the desert. They are forming us into who we are. Chosen. Great to see a Purpose Church. Uh, today we're continuing our series in the wilderness with this morning study, Miracles in the Wilderness. And we're going to meet who I like to call the God of the third alternative. Now I want you to think of a situation in your life um, where neither option is good. You just feel 
trapped. Uh, sometimes here at Purpose Church among the pastors, we call it just, you got to pick the least bad decision. Uh, just like the options are just not good. Or maybe the two options are absolutely uh, just not, not preferable. They're, they're actually bad or they're, they're, they're impossible options. Uh, just like we're going to see the Israelites uh, today are caught between the desert with the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. If they go towards the army or if they stay still, uh, they're going to be killed. If they go into the Red Sea, they're going to drown. And so you have a situation in your life where it just seems impossible. Whichever way you turn is just impossible. And so we need the God of the third alternative. You need God to open up the Red Sea to provide a path where there was no path. You need God to give you a way where there was no way. You need God to part your Red Sea and give you a third alternative. So here's the question I want to ask you as we start. And I really hope you can come up with an illustration, a thought in your mind, because that's going to make this message and this study really live in your life. Here it is. The situation in my life where I'm between the desert and the sea. I'm caught in an impossible situation, whichever way I turn, and I need the God of the third alternative is. And I hope you'll be able to think of something. I'm thinking of something in my mind. I hope you will be able to as well as we dig into this study. Uh, we were just singing that song uh, right before, the, at the end of the worship time uh, today, before our study you turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. That's what we're going to see God do today. You turn seas into a pathway, a highway through that sea. You're the only one that can. And I'm praying for you that God is going to uh, do a miracle in your life, that in that area, whether it's now or I hope it's sooner rather than later, I hope it's in this life rather than the next life, but as soon as possible, I pray that he is going to make that way. He's the God of the third alternative. And so we're going to look at seven things to remember when you're trapped between two bad options in the wilderness. Uh, number one, God knows which way is best. Uh, picking it up with Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Dead Sea. Uh, the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now that ready for battle uh, right there is actually uh, probably not a good trans translation of the Hebrew. Literally, the Hebrew, it's uh, in formation. So they were in battle formation, but they were not ready for battle. And so if the Israelites had headed straight for Canaan, uh, the promised land, which makes the most sense to go there the shortest possible way, they would have arrived there in less than two weeks. Think about that for a moment. The, the wanderings, the wilderness wanderings could have been less than two weeks rather than the four years that it eventually took them. But God made them wait in the wilderness until they were ready uh, to fight the battles it would take in order to conquer the promised land. And sometimes God makes us wait. He'll make you wait until you're ready to fight a certain battle. I know in my life, 
I often don't see a battle that needs to be fought until God reveals it to me when I'm ready to fight that battle. And so he's the God that knows which direction, which path is best. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, the second thing to remember uh, when you're in the wilderness and facing uh, all bad options uh, is that God is faithful to help his people. Uh, there's this little side story now in the next verse that demonstrates God's faithfulness. Uh, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So by uh, faith, uh, Joseph, uh, 400 years earlier, had said, hey, I know God is going to deliver us from Egypt and take us back to the promised land. And when he does, I want you to take uh, my, my body with me, take, take your, uh, my bones uh, with you. Uh, it goes back uh, 400 years before, uh, Genesis 50, verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, like the Egyptians we know would do, after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Uh, so the Israelites uh, carry this mummy of Joseph, this mummy around the wilderness with them for 40 years. Hebrews 11, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave them instructions concerning the burial of his bones. He could see that by faith. He believed God uh, by faith, and so he gave those instructions. And, uh, and they fulfilled his wishes when they got to the promised land. Joshua 24, verse 32, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried in Shechem in the promised land. And then number three, God is present to guide those who follow him. He will guide us when we follow him. Let's pick it up with verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by, or by night. Now, God is guiding them into the exact situation that he wants them to be in. And he'll do the same for you. He, he is orchestrating events uh, perfectly to get them just in the right, just in the right spot. He, he's guiding them into just the right place, into the exact uh, right situation that he wants them to be in. And God is doing the same uh, for you. Are you confused by a situation in your life right now? I know I am. Uh, certain situations are just confusing. What's God up to? But you can trust him. He's good. He loves you. He has your best interest at heart. And he is guiding you, just like he was with the nation of Israel, into the exact spot. Uh, number four continues that idea. God orchestrates events for his ultimate purposes. He is, he is orchestrating events, and he's guiding you to be in the right place 
at the right time, as he did with the nation of Israel. So now uh, let's look at uh, chapter 14, move into chapter 14 and verses 1 through 9. Uh, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, he says to him, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiharoth between Migdal and the sea. They will encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Could we hold it there for just a second? Do you feel hemmed in by the desert? Uh, is your life situation right now, is there an area of your life or maybe your life in general right now, you just feel like you're in the wilderness and you're, you're hemmed in, that phrase, hemmed in by the desert is so, is so poignant. You just feel like, God, what are you doing in my life? In which direction should I go? And, and, and what are you up to, Lord? And the nation of Israel felt that way. God guided them. They were following God and he leads them right into a spot where they're vulnerable, uh, where they're, uh, there's danger. They're hemmed in by the desert. Now let's go on to verse uh, four. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So he had his chariot uh, made ready and he took his army. Oh, I'm sorry, verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Now verse six. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He's orchestrating events to accomplish his purposes. And, and just like he's doing it for them, he's doing it in your life. You feel hemmed in by the desert, but he's doing it in your life in that situation you thought of earlier. He's doing that right now. He's guiding you into the right place and he's orchestrating events. And so the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them, overtook them as they camped by the sea. Now, if this strategy sounds familiar, it is. It's the exact strategy that God used when he sent his son to the cross. The, the, the great, they, they call it the, the, the great um, miracle or deliverance miracle of the Old Testament is the rescue, the crossing of the Red Sea. And the great uh, miracle of deliverance and act of salvation in the New Testament is Jesus on the cross followed by the resurrection from the grave. And so if this strategy of, of, of God orchestrating things for his purposes, even though it's, it looks bad, but God works it out for good, if that sounds familiar, same strategy he used when he sent Jesus to the cross. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood it. They didn't understand what was going on. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, uh, Herod, uh, Antipas, uh, Pilate, the Romans, with Satan behind the scenes, they all fell in. Uh, Satan thought he was orchestrating things for his advantage, but he was falling into a trap 
that God had set for him. And when Jesus burst out of the grave that first Easter Sunday morning, Paul writes to the Colossians, he says in chapter 2, verse 15, and having disarmed Jesus when he rose from the grave, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Uh, On the day that Jesus was crucified, uh, the enemies of Jesus and Satan thought, we got him right where we want him. They pressed the advantage. He's dead. But when he rose from the grave, they realized the mistake that this was all part of God's plan to begin with. And Pharaoh is going to find out the same thing. That's why we shouldn't be too freaked out by events in the world today. Yeah, we should be concerned. Yeah, we should be praying. Yeah, we should be ready for Jesus' second coming. But, uh, but, but don't, don't be overly freaked out by the stuff and the headlines in the world today because God is orchestrating events for his ultimate purposes. Remember again, the words of that song that we were just singing. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one that can. And that leads us to number five. God will fight for those who stand in him. Uh, Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? These are the people that had seen the 10 miracles that God did in in Egypt. And yet now they turn on Moses. They, They rebel against God. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, this is just absurd. Just how short-sighted. To, to, their memory was so brief. It's like a goldfish, their, their memory. is about what God had just done with great power to bring them out of Egypt. But they said, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. In their fear, they forgot that they were slaves in Egypt. And in our fear, sometimes we forget what God has done and and, and how he has delivered us. But we're tempted to do the exact same thing that the Israelites uh, were doing. Um, I love this quote by uh, Philip Riken. He's the president of uh, my alma mater, Wheaton College. God wants to bring us all the way out of our sins. Our problem is that we only come out partway. He delivers us from our sins, our bondage of Egypt, but we only want to come out partway. He wants us to come out the whole way. Uh, We only want to come out partway. We decide to follow Christ, but as soon as we start having problems, we get scared and we go right back to our old ways of coping, anger, addiction, distraction, No matter how much we used to hate it, there was a security in the way we used to live. So we return to the same old harmful friendships, the same old sinful attitudes, and the same old nasty habits. And it's not just leaving bad things, but it's also true of starting good things. It's not that when we leave bad things that we run into trouble and we want to go back to the familiar and back to those things again. 
but it's also true of starting good things. Um, maybe you've begun doing something that you believe God wants you to do. And then when you start that thing that God wants you to do, then something bad happens to discourage you. Uh, for example, one of the greatest preachers of all time was Charles Spurgeon. And uh, this is an older picture of him and his wife, Susanna. Uh, but when he was younger, at the age of 22, he almost quit um, and dropped out of the ministry. Uh, he and his wife, Susanna, had only been married uh, for a year. They had twin sons who had just been born. And after three years of spectacular preaching, from the age of 19 to 22, just some of the greatest preaching ever preached in London, uh, he had enemies who hated him because he so boldly proclaimed the gospel. And on October 19th, 1856, he was preaching to 12,000 people at the age of 22. He's preaching to 12,000 people at the Surrey Garden Music Hall. Uh, 12,000 indoors and 10,000 standing outdoors trying to hear him. And during his opening prayer, some of his enemies shouted, fire. There was no fire, but they shouted, fire. The galleries are giving way. The place is falling, even though there was no fire and there was no danger. But it caused a panic in the crowd. And seven people were trampled to death. And 28 people were hospitalized with uh, serious injuries. Uh, Spurgeon was so distraught that he almost quit preaching. Uh, but through the encouragement of his wife, he carried on. And maybe you've just launched out on something new that you know God led you to do. And something happens to, to scare you or something happens to discourage you. And, and, and you want to stop that thing. But you need to persevere because if God told you to do it, He's going to provide for you. You're going to get through this time of discouragement that you're in. Maybe you started something you believe that God wanted you to do, but some obstacle has happened. And here is what Moses said to the Israelites, and here's what God would say to you. Maybe the whole reason you're, you're watching today in, in, in your living room or listening in your car later on or at your computer uh, the whole reason is because you're going, you, you started down a path that you believe God wanted you, that God guided you into. And something's happened to discourage you. And the whole reason God has orchestrated you to listen to this right now is what Moses said to the Israelites. This is what you need to hear right here and right now. Verse 13, Moses answered the people and he's talking to you as well. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You know, there's a time to stand still, but there's also a time to get moving. And sometimes God says, just be still and wait for me to work this thing out. But sometimes God wants you to get moving. Just do the last thing God told you to do. You say, but I don't know what the next thing is. Well, just be obedient to the last thing God said to you. There's that saying that God can't steer a parked car. Get the car moving. Get, get, get moving into the last thing you knew God wanted you to do. And then he'll show you the next thing. So sometimes we stand still, but sometimes we need to get moving. Number six, God will direct us if we get moving. Okay, now there's this long passage now I want us to read together 
And, and this is just going to tell the story of, of how God delivered his, his people. Let's pick it up uh, with the next verse, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Uh, sometimes we just got to get going. Sometimes you stand still. Sometimes you got to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and all his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming out between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them uh, into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Now, was it just for God to judge these men in this way, uh, these soldiers in this way? Uh, well, I believe it was. Remember, these were the same men who had killed the Israelite babies. Uh, Exodus 1, verse 22, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, but it would be these soldiers, his, his men, his army, that would have carried out this command. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So these soldiers most likely were the ones that carried out the order of Pharaoh. And it was justice, particular specific justice, that they died by drowning because that is what they had done to the baby boys of the Israelites. They threw them into the Nile. And so in the same way they had caused the, the babies, boys of the nation of Israel to drown in the Nile, in the same way they themselves were drowned by God in the Red Sea. Uh, this was also a judgment on the gods of the Egyptians. It was appropriate that the Egyptians were defeated at daybreak because that is when their sun god, Ra, uh, this is the sun god of the Egyptians. This is when their god was supposed to be rising in the east and that's when God defeated not only Pharaoh, not only his army, but the gods of the Egyptians, including Ra 
as well. But Ra could not save them, nor could Pharaoh save them, even though Pharaoh also was revered as a god. There's an ancient Egyptian uh, inscription that we found that goes like this. He whom the king has loved will be a revered one, but there is no tomb for a rebel against his majesty, and his corpse is cast into the water. So this inscription, this ancient inscription, is a threat to drown any of Pharaoh's enemies. But in the end, it was the Egyptian army, it was Pharaoh's army that was lost at sea, not their enemies, uh, the nation of Israel. It was such a crushing defeat that Egypt did not threaten Israel again until sometime after the death of Solomon, about 500 years later. And then number seven, God will give us a miracle either in this life or in the next. Oh, I pray that it's in this life. I pray that it's sooner rather than later. But I promise you that miracle will eventually come. It may be in heaven. It may be in the next life. But I promise you it will come as it did for the nation of Israel. Verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So let's go back to that original thing I ask you to think about. What's, what's that situation in my life where I'm between the desert and the sea? What's that situation in your life where it just seems impossible, where everywhere you turn, every option is an impossible option, and where you need the God of the third alternative, the God that will step into your situation and part the Red Sea, uh, to provide a rescue, to come to your rescue. I pray again with all my heart that you're going to receive your miracle in this life. And if it's in this life, I pray that it can be sooner rather than later. I pray as your pastor, I pray that it's, it's today or it's by the end of the week or it's as soon as possible. But even if that miracle doesn't come sooner and it comes later, or even if it doesn't even come later, if it comes uh, when you stand before God in heaven, I can guarantee you that eventually you will receive that miracle. It may be slow in coming. I pray that it's not. But even if it's slow in coming, it will come eventually. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, uh, the day of Jesus' second coming. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved and longed for his appearing. I love this uh, true story from a number of years back. It's called The Roar of the Crowd. Uh, on a balmy October afternoon in 1982, Badger Stadium 
in Madison, Wisconsin, was packed. More than 60,000 diehard University of Wisconsin fans were watching their football team take on Michigan State University. It soon became obvious that Michigan State had the better team. What seemed odd, however, was that as the score became more and more lopsided, as Wisconsin was taking a beating, there were bursts of applause and shouts of joy from the Wisconsin fans, even though their team was losing. They, they seemed has happy. Why? What was going on? It turned out that 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 3 of the 1982 World Series. Many of the fans in the stands were listening to portable radios and responding to something other than what they saw on the field. You may be discouraged by what you see on the field, in the game of your life, in your life right now. But the real life is happening in heaven. And I promise you that even though circumstances may seem difficult now, God is in heaven orchestrating. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you commit your ways to Him, and we know that God works for the good of those that love Him, that have committed their lives to Him, have opened their heart to Christ, and, and follow after Him, He is in heaven orchestrating the events of your life for His ultimate purposes. And I promise you that someday you will receive your miracle from the God of the third alternative. And right now, before uh, I, I close in prayer, and I want you to see one last story that I want to share with you. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, this can be your moment right now. You, you can't, those promises are there, but they're only there for those that follow Jesus and open their hearts to receive Him as their Lord and Savior. The promises of Him orchestrating the events and guiding your path and eventually being the God of the third alternative and giving you that miracle, uh, they're only there for those that have received Him. So I, I want you to say three words with me in a prayer. Um, sorry, God, I'm sorry for the sin and wrongdoing in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. And thirdly, please come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Would you pray that silently with me as I pray it out loud? Oh, God, I'm sorry for the wrong in my life, how I have uh, done my own thing and gone my own way. So many times I've been like the nation of Israel, that even though you delivered them in a wonderful way from Egypt, I just forget to be thankful and they turned on you so quickly. When I get afraid, I just, I just turn and I'm so sorry for the wrongdoing in my life. But Lord, thank you so much that, that even though it seemed like the day that Jesus was crucified, it was the end of all hope. You were just counting to three. Thank you, Lord, that you were just saying Friday one, Saturday two, Easter Sunday, three. And when he rose from the grave, he he's made a spectacle of those of Satan and those that were his enemies. Thank you. And now please be my Lord and Savior. Uh, come into my heart. Forgive me of my wrongdoing. I receive your mercy and your, your gift of grace. And, 
And Lord, I hand the pen to you now to write the story of my life. I've been writing the chapters of my life, and, and to be very frank, it hasn't turned out all that great. But now I hand the pen to you, and will you write the rest of my story? And will you, Lord, work all things together for good, like you did for the Israelites under the leadership of Moses? Lord, take the pen and write it, because you write nothing but good endings. And when I hand the pen of my life for you to write the story of my life, it always ends well because you are the God of the third alternative and you are the God of miracles, even in the wilderness. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. In September of 2005, I woke up one morning and crumpled like a heap on the floor in a pretzel. And for the next nine months, I was in this wheelchair and spent a lot of time at doctor's offices trying to figure out what I had. Many of the doctors did not understand what was going on in my body. And to have something that's undiagnosed is very difficult because you don't know what you're fighting. I am completely at the mercy of others to do most daily functions. I cannot go anywhere on my own, and my mother would drive me about two hours to where I was working at the time. I would teach the students for a few hours and then end up having no strength to even hold up my head. I remember crying out to the Lord and asking Him why He would do something like this and how He could still use me. During that time, I was praying that God would heal me, and I was praying that God would somehow miraculously take this away from me. And yet, the doors closed each and every time. I didn't have a lot of strength for each concert and was praying that God would show me the strength. The next morning, I woke up and something was different in my body, and I was able to walk for the first time in nine months with just the strength of the Lord coursing through me. Students who had question whether or not God really did exist and were going through difficult times. And when they saw God's miraculous healing of my body, they exclaimed that God truly must be real. The music that came out of the students that day was nothing short of a glimpse of what I think heaven will be like when we are up there. Recently, my disease has come back and I am no longer able to conduct music or to play music. Because of the difficulties that I have faced in my life, I have found a greater depth in my relationship with Christ. And whether God chooses to miraculously heal me, I have seen God's faithfulness in that. And I have seen God not answer my prayers and not choose to miraculously heal me, yet to use me for His glory in ways that I could not imagine.